The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, aka 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined for episode 201 by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing good, man. It's been snowing all day, but it's not uh, not like a heavy snow. It's just like a nice little snow globe snow. And then had some uh, this dish uh, that I put through <laughs> threw together, um, some mussels and scallops. Over Yoki and a Grand Marnier sauce for dinner. Oh, that was tasty! Wow, Chef Keaton coming up big. That sounds delicious, yeah. man. Uh, I am, I'm jealous. Uh, that sounds very, very nice. Um, so, I mentioned that it's episode two hundred one. Um, that is kind of crazy. That means this podcast has been going for like over six years now, or something like that. I think I started this thing. <laughs> uh, back in at uh, baseball prospectus boston and moved it over here to over the monster um and you've been on it for you know i think more episodes than anybody except me um and for some reason keaton we neglected to be on our 200th episode (laughs) both of us what the hell man yeah uh, that was pretty funny um (laughs) I saw when we were on 199, and then I was like, oh, so it must be back to us, right? Because there's no way that we're both going to not be on 200. That's exactly what happened. But I think I've been around for just under 100 of them. Okay. Um, So this is a real testament to you, man. There's not a lot of podcasts that get to 100, let alone 200. This is pretty impressive, man. This is great work. Yeah, thanks, dude. Yeah, and great work to you, too. I, you know, obviously couldn't have done it without you as well, Um, but... Yeah, I, I can't believe we both screwed the pooch on that one. Uh, it was a good episode, though, if you got to listen to Matt and uh, Shelly uh, over here. But, I mean, man, 200 episodes. It's just it's hard to believe. And uh, I just wanted to kind of thank everybody that's been involved with this over the course of, of the time that the podcast has been going. Um, when we started this, it was kind of my idea to start a Red Sox podcast because there were – 
like no Red Sox podcast six years ago. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. This is the most popular team. Um, at the time, the only Red Sox podcast that I was actually listening to on a regular basis was um, the old Projo podcast with uh, Tim Britton and Brian McPherson, um, which was great. Um, but that was like it. And so I was like, how do we not have one of these things? Uh, and I asked Ben Carsley, who was uh, the editor uh, over at uh, Baseball Prospectus Boston, if I could get one started in the first year that I got that started, it was me with a rotating crew of uh, Ben Carsley, Matt Corey, uh, who also used to be at this site, um, Matt Collins, obviously, uh, the managing editor here at Over the Monster, uh, and then Brian Joyner, who's also at this site. So that was the crew um, for the first year, rotating through, first couple of years, actually. And then when we moved the podcast over here, it was um, Matt Corey, me, um, Matt Collins, uh, in, in that whole crew, Brian Joyner as well. Uh, and then we got you into the mix. We even had a little cameo from Patrick Magnus for a little while. That's right. <laughs> uh, over at the Dynasty Guru. Uh, and we've had just so many people help uh, over the over the way. We've had so many great guests as well. We've had on Alex Spear came onto the show. We've had Evan Drellick a few times. We've had Jen McCaffrey probably more than anybody Um We've had Ian Cundell a bunch of times from Sox Prospects. We had Chris Hatfield from Sox Prospects. Um, we've had uh, from Prospects Live. Uh, we had Ralph Lifshitz. I mean, we've had a lot of guests. I'm probably forgetting very many people who are amazing uh, who we've had on the show. But it's just pretty damn cool uh, to be able to do this. And, and, and nobody, I should thank more than you, Keaton, for for being on this with me and helping me grow this show. And, uh, you know, we're, we're one of the top baseball podcasts at SB nation right now because of all of the hard work. So it feels really great. And, you know, thanks to the current crew, you and Shelly and, and Matt Collins and everybody who makes this possible. It's, it's awesome, but nobody is more responsible for this than the people who listen to us every single week. Uh, so my, my rant is over here, so I will finally get to the Red Sox news, but I just wanted to kind of take a little bit of time to, to thank everybody involved. Appreciate it, man. Happy to have helped, and thanks for giving me a chance. Absolutely, absolutely. So on today's episode of the show for 201, uh, we're going to be hitting on Dustin Pedroia's retirement a little bit, giving our personal thoughts on that. Also, I'm a bit of a Red Sox historian here, uh, having done my all-time series. So we'll talk about his place in history a little bit. Um, we're going to hit on an athletic article that recently went through a few of the uh, off-season signings and compared them to what could have been with the money. We'll talk about JBJ, and we'll talk about the rumors of a potential Japanese reliever uh, signing with the Red Sox, and then we'll get to your listener questions. So first of all, Keaton, Dustin Pedroia has retired. Um, this leaves just a massive hole in um, the Red Sox sort of clubhouse culture, I think, and it's something that we've been expecting for a really long time. Uh, he really hasn't played much over the last few years, but um, still a huge impact. Played 1,512 games with the team. He ranks ninth all-time in Fangraph's war, um, just behind David Ortiz. 
uh, on that list. And, you know, he's a big, big part of Red Sox history here. Uh, Three-time World Series champ. Uh, didn't really play in the third one, but, you know, a huge part of the, the first two that he was part of. I mean, what has Dustin Pedroia meant to you as a Red Sox fan? Yeah, I mean, there's a handful of guys that, I mean, when I was growing up, like through the 2000 to 2010, um, when I pretty much like through college and then kind of started doing this stuff, that like stick with me as guys that will always kind of have a little extra specialness to them because they're what like drew you to the Red Sox and part of like why we love the Red Sox so much. And he's absolutely one of those guys. Like obviously Poppy... Uh, Pedro, Manny, and then Pedroia. Yeah. So like, like he's on that Mount Rushmore of reasons why I love the Red Sox. So it's, I mean, we all kind of knew it was coming. It really sucks the way that it ended, and it kind of felt like it dragged out a bit. But just the way that he played, you kind of assumed it wasn't going to be like a nice Ortiz-like ending for him, um, which, you know, it doesn't make it any less of a bummer that that's how it happened, but... Uh, what he has meant to an entire generation of Red Sox fans. Um, like there, there's always one or two guys that set up like an entire generation. Like in the nineties, it was like Nomar in the beginning of Pedro. And, and he's basically like the Nomar for the two thousands generation. So that's, it's massive shoes to fill and he filled them well. Um, so it's, it's a bummer that it's, you know, come to its official end. But, you know, he means a lot to a lot of Red Sox fans, so wish him the best. Yeah, he absolutely does. I, I think um, Dustin Pedroia kind of came to uh, be Dustin Pedroia uh, during my college years. Um, you know, when I was in high school, my favorite players were the the stalwarts of the 2004 team. You know, talking about Pedro Martinez and David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez. And, and that's kind of like... When I think of my best Red Sox memories, I think of those guys. Um, but Dustin Pedroia, Kevin Euclid, Josh Beckett, uh, guys like that, along with David Ortiz, of course, um, that's kind of who I think about during my you know college years to my early 20s. So those guys are incredibly important to me uh, as well. And, and just Dustin Pedroia, so quotable over the years and we we had that roundtable uh, on Friday about what our what we think of when we think of Dustin Pedroia, and I felt like kind of cliche writing the uh, the laser show quote as being most important to me. But like for a twenty something year old, I thought that that was just the coolest, awesomest quote ever uh, when he said that, and it just really resonated. So I f- I feel like he really caught the zeitgeist of the moment uh, with that quote for like every 20 something in Boston. Yeah, that was that was a tough one to narrow down just to one because he's had a lot of on-field and off-field moments that are just like great parts of Red Sox lore. Uh for me I went with the leadoff home run in the 2007 series. Mm, um yep. he's still the only rookie ever to lead off a World Series with a home run which seems like it's going to be really hard to match. Um just given the landscape of how hard it is to get to the World Series and not the chances you have a rookie leading off. Uh, I mean, it was just from his first year, he was thrust into really tough situations that you would expect guys to struggle. Uh, and obviously he struggled with his first 
you know, month and a half. There's like the, that uh, story from Theo where at the beginning of the season they told him, you know, you are our second baseman. We're sticking with you. So if you're hitting, you know, a buck 90 in June, you know, don't feel down in the dumps. We're sticking with you. And then you look up and he was hitting 190 in June. And Theo was like, you didn't have to take me literally. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. you know, he turned it around one rookie of the year, turned it into an MVP the next year. Uh, leading off the World Series as a rookie, hitting a dinger, setting the tone for a four-game sweep. I mean, you don't – like, I was impressed, really impressed, with Xander Bogarts in 2013 being a rookie, and he drew a walk in his first World Series at bat, and I was like, that's a fucking rookie. What a big <laughs> at bat that was, taking four balls. And like, Pedroia just went up there and hit a dinger. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's incredible. Yeah, he was special. Uh, he had just that was the thing about Pedroia that stuck out more than anything was just that swagger, that confidence, uh, and the ability to back it up with just ridiculous hand-eye coordination. Um, very few players uh, have that gift the same way that he did. Over the course of his career, he had a 9.2% uh, walk rate and just a 9.7% strikeout rate. So he just incredible ba- barrel control um, for him. Uh, I, I mentioned it over the summer. I made my all-time Red Sox forty-man uh, roster, and I had Dustin Pedroia as my starting second baseman and the greatest second baseman in Red Sox history. And I was kind of assuming at that point that Dustin Pedroia was done uh, playing baseball. But even still, I gave him the nod over uh, Red Sox legend Bobby Doerr, whose number is retired. Uh, who is a Hall of Famer, who played more games for the Red Sox uh, than Dustin Pedroia did. Um, But the reason why I gave it to Dustin Pedroia was just because I think he had a slightly better peak. Uh, And I think his defense was probably just a little bit better. I want to just read a little bit from that article to share with people, and I would urge everybody to go check that out. It's definitely a great series, Uh, definitely not biased at all. So here's where he ranks in team history. Dustin Pedroia, he's 6th in doubles and stolen bases. He's 8th in hits, 10th in batting average, 15th in RBI, 18th in home runs. Um, Dustin Pedroia has more doubles um, than anyone in Red Sox history, uh, aside from Earl Webb and Nomar Garcia-Para. He's got two 200-plus hit seasons. Uh, Bobby Dewar has zero 200-plus hit seasons. Um, In his MVP season, he had 54 doubles and 213 hits. Um, That's pretty crazy Uh, in in terms of where those marks rank in Red Sox history. uh, Those would be third and fifth best all time out of anybody. Um, And for single season hits in Red Sox history, he ranks behind only Wade Boggs, Trish Speaker, uh, and Mookie Betts. So that's some pretty damn good company uh, there for Pedroia. The other thing that I think stood out to me was that um, he had 25 uh, hit streaks over the course of his career of at least 10 games. Isn't that remarkable? That is remarkable. And that was kind of surprising when I was reading your piece getting to that point. That is um, – there's there's not many guys that can get one of those in their career. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's just crazy. It speaks so much to, to the quality of the barrel control that he had and the ability just to 
to barrel up anything. I mean, pitches at his eyes he could connect with. He also had that crazy five for five with three home runs uh, versus Colorado in 2010. Um, it's just an incredible player. Um, if we look at his Hall of Fame chances, I've been a little bit more bullish than a lot of people on his Hall of Fame chances. Uh, there's still a good chance that he falls short. I know that Matt and Shelly talked about this on their podcast, that they think he will fall short. Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic just because of the hardware, um, because of the MVP, because of the Rookie of the Year, because of the World Series. Uh, in Jay Jaffe's JAWS system, which measures war, uh, peak seven war, um, time spent as you know most valuable player, where he ranked in the league in terms of war production, all that type of stuff uh, measured in. He's actually 20th among all second basemen in terms of Jaws. He's actually right ahead of Jeff Kent, who a lot of people think will end up getting into the Hall of Fame. He's ahead of Bobby Doerr, who I mentioned, who's 22nd on that list, a Hall of Famer. He's ahead of Nellie Fox, Johnny Evers, Tony Lazari, uh, Bid McPhee. Those are all Hall of Famers as well. Um, and he's basically tied with Ian Kinsler, who I think people talk about as having a better Hall of Fame chance than Dustin Pedroia, simply because he stayed healthy a little bit longer. Um, I think he has a pretty decent chance. I don't know. What do you think about his Hall of Fame chances? Ooh. I mean, my heart wants him to be there. Just, but I don't know if my, you know, my heart doesn't get a vote, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I think it's really, it's really tough because, I mean, he does have the MVP uh, and he finished in the top 10 a couple other times too. I think he doesn't really have anything that's like overwhelming that um, some of the guys from this generation do. Um, but, I mean, he's got the World Series, and it wasn't like he was a bystander on those. Well, I mean, the last one, but being a key cog in two World Series is pretty tough to beat. So uh, it really, it's tough because he feels like the um, – the like Philip Rivers version of baseball. Like he seems like he is the bar. Like if you were a better player than Pedroia, <laughs> you're in. If you weren't, you're not. So it's like, what do you do with that marker? Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I always thought of Philip Rivers as a shoe in for the Hall of Fame, but now I'm second guessing myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's gonna be a fascinating case, no doubt. I think that he means more to Red Sox history than he does in the grand, uh, you know, tapestry of baseball, probably. Uh, and, and for that reason, I do think that once fans are back in Fenway, that his number 15 will be retired uh, and join the Raptors. I, I think that's pretty much a lock. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he, he definitely means a lot. Um, and we'll, we'll close the book on Pedroia, but just want to... Uh, you know, give him all the respect he deserves. Big thank you to Pedroia for everything he left out on the field. And, you know, never forget watching him in those huge moments. He was fantastic. Okay, let's move on to our next topic today, uh, which is that interesting athletic piece uh, that we were just talking about at the beginning of the show. 
so this was written by Chad Jennings, who always does a great job. Uh, this was a February 5th piece on The Athletic. And he talked about how the Red Sox have spent their money this year. And he actually labeled it a pretty funny title. He said, Red Sox found the most boring way to build MLB's second highest payroll. Uh, which, Keaton, I thought that that would be a, a headline worthy of your sense of humor. Yes. I was I was going to say the very first thing that jumped out to me was the headline. And I couldn't actually believe that they had the second highest payroll in baseball with what they've done. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. They, they they certainly haven't shied away from spending money. There's still a lot of money tied up on this team. Dustin Pedroia's money, we should mention, isn't going anywhere. That is going to be part of the payroll this year. Um, but they go through a few of the transactions that the Red Sox have made and then give an alternative transaction that they could have made. So I want to go through these. And um, it's not necessarily to say that this transaction would have been available to them. Um, but this is what the player uh, ended up signing for with uh, a different club. So the first one we'll talk about is uh, Red Sox signing uh, Kike Hernandez to a two-year deal worth $14 million. They did this at the same time that the Brewers signed Colton Wong to a two-year deal at $18 million. Um, Keaton. Which of those two deals would you prefer in a vacuum if both were available to the Red Sox, and why? Wong. Um, stellar defense, a far superior ability to get on base and draw a walk. Uh, he doesn't have quite the utility status that Kike Hernandez does, but he has played center field for uh, the Cardinals for a bit, so he has a little bit of utility value can, um, I mean, I don't know if he could really play on the corners like he can, but, uh, can play up the middle if you needed him, um, could move over to shortstop in a pinch, but, um, he's just a better player. So <laughs> I'd rather have Wong. Yeah, I completely agree with you here. Um, Wong is the guy who I wanted from the beginning of the off season as the second baseman. And, I might feel differently about this move um, for Cesar or uh, for Enrique Hernandez, I should say, um, if they were very transparent about Hernandez moving all around the field. But Hernandez himself, in a quote after signing, said that he in, like, he signed to be the everyday second baseman. That is the stated role for Hernandez on this team is the everyday second baseman, which is exactly what's going to be the role for Colton Wong and for four million bucks more uh, over a two-year deal. So two million more each year, you could have the better player who is the better defender. And I think that Hernandez is an awesome defender. I do think it is interesting that the bats might be a little bit more similar than we think. I think Colton Wong is probably a better OBP guy. But I think they're probably a little bit closer in that area. The thing that clearly does it and the thing that they're not talking about, Keaton, I think, is is the fact that, yes, uh, Hernandez has played 200 games at second base over the course of his career. But his second most played position is 179 games in center field, where they currently are going to be playing Verdugo, who played right field last year. So this, this to me, is Bloom, like getting some extra insurance instead of paying up for the guy who's probably a little bit better at second base. Sure. 
Could be. Um, I think one thing to note, though, is that we actually haven't seen um, like what Hernandez can do in an everyday role. I mean, he got plenty of at-bats with the Dodgers. Um, but, like, so in the last, I guess, 2020 aside, because it's a weird season. 2016, he played 109 games, but it was only 244 plate appearances. 2017 was 140 games, but 342. So, like, he's never even come close to 600 plate appearances. The closest was 2018 and 2019, where he played 145 games, 130 games, and got over 400. was, like, at 460. But that's still not really close to a full season's worth of plate appearances. We haven't seen what he can do with an everyday role. Um, And I think that is something worth noting, because if he is going to be given the reins to get to 600, 650 plate appearances in a season, um, we we don't know what his potential really is, because we've never seen him come close. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and and I think that there is something to be said for a guy like Wong who has gone through the grind of a full season and done so healthy uh, for for many, many years in a row now. So, yeah, that that's definitely an X factor there. Uh, the next one here is Red Sox sign uh, Garrett Richards for a one-year $10 million deal, albeit with a $10 million team option for 2022. Uh, and the Yankees signed Corey Kluber for a one-year, $11 million deal. Uh, which one of these two do you prefer, Keaton? So initially it was Kluber, like immediately, gut reaction. But then the more I thought about it, he's only pitched uh, like 35 innings over the last two seasons. Uh, and he's dealt with a whole bunch of injuries uh, obviously Richards has his own injury history, but he's now almost 18 months removed from his Tommy John surgery. Um, and even though they both have extreme risk, I think that actually makes Richards the less risky option. And for a million dollars less, I think I'm actually okay with this. I think Kluber has a chance to be really, really <coughs> good, but he's just had such a massive pile of recent injuries that I think it makes him the slightly riskier player. Yeah, I actually agree with you fully, and I was not expecting to agree to agree with the uh, the Garrett Richards apologist. I mean, for years on fantasy podcasts, I've been rolling my <laughs> eyes at your Garrett Richards takes, Keaton. But um, actually, Jen McCaffrey wrote a great article um, where she was talking to Garrett Richards about some of his struggles, and he fully admitted he's like biggest mistake of my career was not getting Tommy John right away when these things popped up. And the oh, more yeah. research I did into it, I was like, yeah, you know what? He has this this reputation for being this oft-injured guy, but they're all pretty much the elbow. Um, and now the elbow's healthy. I kind of feel like he's safer than Kluber, too. Um, and we know that Richards and Kluber are both great when they're healthy. If all things, like, fully equal, both guys fully healthy, Kluber's the better pitcher. Okay? Right. No question. But I'm more confident in Richards being healthy at this point, and I love the fact that he has that option. Yep. Totally agree. Surprising one there. I was a little disappointed not getting Kluber. Now I feel great about it. That's what Uh, Garrett Richards does to you, man. Drink that Kool-Aid. Apparently. Uh, (laughs) Next one, Red Sox acquire Adam Adovino. Um in his $8.15 million bucks. Yankees taking on a little bit of that. Versus uh, being able to just simply claim Brad Hand on waivers uh, for $10 bucks. 
So we're essentially weighing Ottavino versus Hand. Uh, pay a little bit more for Hand. Uh, but you also got the prospect back in Frank Herman. Uh, which of these do you prefer? This is an interesting one. I think this might be the most interesting one. Yeah, I would have gone with Hand, even a little bit more expensive. Um, Ottavino was ridden into the ground. Um, was like well over 70 innings in 2019. Um struggled at the end of it even though his overall line looks pretty good obviously in 2020 it was only like 18 innings but it was really really bad um so that makes me a little bit more worried uh brad hand has been one of the best relievers in the game for about six or seven years now here uh he has gone over uh, a handful of times gone over that 70 inning threshold, but um, didn't in 2019, obviously didn't in 2020. So I think he might be a little bit more fresher. I just feel a bit more confident in hand that, I mean, I wouldn't mind having paid $1.85 million more for hand. But I'm not bummed about the Adovino option here because I think he's primed for a bounce back. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be he – he had the ERA like over six – 2020 i don't think that's where he's at <laughs> so uh, i don't think he's a bad option but i think brad hand would have been the better option now do you think Ottavino um ends up the closer or do you think that you know matt barnes still closes out games for this team or someone else i think they both will um i think Ottavino is i mean you know just apples to apples Ottavino is a better reliever than barnes um, so I think he's going to get the higher leverages. So if, if the middle of the order comes up in the eighth, I think you're going to see Adovino and then Barnes to finish it out. Uh, wherever the the harder, the tougher hitters are at, you'll see Adovino, I think. So I don't think Cora, you know, he tried to do that with um, Kimbrell, kind of go away from just you are the ninth inning guy every time. Um, but he has a bullpen now that, I mean, there isn't a guy who for ego or for skill set needs to be in the ninth. Uh, every time, so he'll be able to maneuver that back end of the bullpen however he wants, and having Ottavino and Barnes together work them interchangeably. I think you're going to see Ottavino uh, more often than not in the ninth, but if the you know one-run game, middle of the order in the eighth, I think that's where you're going to see Ottavino. Yeah, I hope you're wrong. Um, I think you probably are right, though. Um, I hope that Cora has kind of learned his lesson here and in, in – I think we saw this in 2019 once they finally put Workman in that role uh, down the stretch Workman got better and everybody else got better once they had defined roles so I'm well, not looking forward to the idea of mixing and matching at all. I think that's different than this situation though because that was an absolute mess of a bullpen and no one knew what they were doing. They started out I don't remember who the um setup man was but Barnes led the majors in blown saves and it was just the back of the bullpen was just an absolute mess. Uh, no one knew what the role was because they didn't have anybody that could actually like pitch in high leverage situations at all. It was just a crap shoot the entire time until workman uh, elevated himself. And then without Barnes having to face the, like the heart of a lot of the order in the ninth to get um, a save, he was pitching better. So that's why I think, um, Whatever the situation is, the slightly less high leverage situation is going to go to Barnes and Adamino will get the higher. So I I think 
the majority of the ninth inning is going to go to Adovino, though, but it's just that when you're in a pinch and you need him in the eighth, I don't think Gore is going to hesitate where I think the bullpens that he's had in the past, he would have. Yeah, I guess if, if Adovino is getting like 80% of the save chances, I think that could be okay. I think if it's like a 50-50 split, I'm going to be a little bit worried about it because, you know, I think everything you just said was true, Keaton, but I also do firmly believe that guys need to find roles to be the best version of themselves. And this is actually why I would have preferred Brad Hand over Ottavino in the prospect as well, because, you know, you sign Brad Hand and there's no doubt who the closer is. You know, that's it's Brad freaking Hand because yeah. he's he's a closer. Yeah. Um, and I think there is just something to that. So it's going to be interesting. This is going to be probably the thing that causes me the most anxiety uh, throughout this upcoming season is the back end of the bullpen. So. <laughs> What's new? Glad I'm feeling that for three years. <laughs> yeah, glad I'm already getting anxious about it. <laughs> um, all right, last one here. Um, Red Sox sign Martin Perez and uh, Matt Andres for $7.1 million. Uh, Angels sign Jose Quintana for $8 million. bucks. Uh, would you have preferred Quintana for $8 million or the two, Perez and Andres, for 900000 less? So I may have turned you on Garrett Richards. I think you may have turned me on Martin Perez. Okay. I like so, it. Yeah. What's a lot better last year than I thought. Um, you talked a lot about uh, what he had been doing with his pitch mix and the Red Sox kind of unlocking some things. And then we actually saw it happen out on the field. He was their most consistent pitcher all of last year, which is kind of wild to say. But I don't really know if you're going to get anything at all out of Andres, but maybe you do. And then plus you have Perez building on the success with the Red Sox another year off of what he did in 2020. Um, Jose Quintana has just been declining year over year for <laughs> basically since he was traded to the Cubs. So like he was a, a potential Cy Young candidate with the White Sox and got traded to the Cubs and just hasn't been any good at all. So maybe another change of scenery is whatever was the Cubs were doing just wasn't a good fit for him. So now he's, I think he's, what is it, the Angels now? Yep. So maybe that, I, I don't know. I just, I'd feel better about building on the success you had last year with Perez than trying to take a shot on Quintana, who has been steadily declining consistently in recent years. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Um, I, I, I prefer the Perez, Matt Andrees combination and this is one of those situations where the uh, metrics do not agree with us, Keaton, uh, at all. If, if we dig a little deeper into Jose Quintana's season last year, he had a 4.5 uh, ERA, uh, which I believe is identical uh, to what Martin Perez had last year. Let me just check. Yep, 4.5. However, uh, the XFIP for Martin Perez uh, was 520. Okay, that's Yikes. not good. Nope. Um, the the ex-fip for uh, our, our friend here, uh, what's his name, Quintana, was, let me see here, sorry about this, radio, uh, 2.85. And the big reason why was because Quintana struck out 10.8 guys per nine, only walked 2.7. Um but the big difference, man, is is the fact that the hard hit rate 
for Quintana last year was 50%. 50%. The hard hit rate for uh, Martin Perez the last two years has been 29%. So that's the big difference to me. I don't care about the sexy strikeout numbers if you're getting walloped every time. Well, well, there's also a massive small sample. I mean, 2020 was already a small sample. He only pitched 10 innings. So, like, the past, uh, like, three seasons, his uh, K rate had been declining from 9.8 to 8.1 to 8.0. And then in just 10 innings, I don't think we can draw any conclusions from a 10-inning sample. No, I don't think so either. And if we go back to 2019. And it was mostly in the bullpen too. Right. Yeah. And everybody's stuff is going to play up in the bullpen. And and if we go back to when he was a starter, his his hard hit rate is still over 7% higher uh, than Martin Perez's hard hit rate. So I just don't think that uh, we can make any determinations about Quintana actually being a better pitcher at this point because there's many ways to skin a cat as a pitcher. You can induce weak contact like Martin Perez does, or you can strike guys out like Quintana does. And at this point, I feel more confident in Martin Perez. Crazy as that sounds. I agree with you. Well, look at us. Uh, It turns out that the way that Bloom spent his money, probably not that bad uh, this offseason. Overall, I, I'm I'm like pleasantly happy with with what's happened so far. I am wishing that the Red Sox uh, ended up signing Ozuna, but now that that is closed, I can kind of move on with a little bit of closure in my life. <laughs> I'm still really frustrated with. I feel like their their whole offseason <clears throat> um, plan has just been a smokescreen. Essentially, like like the headline suggested, this is an incredibly boring way to build the second highest payroll. Uh, and it's really their signings coupled with uh, pretending to be in on every single high-profile free agent international signee uh, and failing to agree with any of them. Like, they didn't even make one splash at all. Like, they could have, uh, if they had signed Kim, who ended up going to the Padres, or if they had been able to come to terms with Sugano before he went back to Japan. I think we'd be a lot a lot happier about where this team's offseason went because they made a single splash the fact that they didn't i think is just really frustrating to red sox fans yeah i think it is too um but i think that we will see that splash uh next year when the team's payroll is much less committed uh to to free agents so going into 2022 the payroll estimate on the books for the red sox is 125 million bucks uh versus what it is this year for 206 million bucks there's a whole lot coming off the books next year um potentially if if, if they want to um dustin pedroia's money's off the books uh, adam Ottavino's money will be off the books uh they can make a decision on martin perez christian vasquez they'll probably keep mad injuries garrett richards depends on how he pitches you might be very happy to pick that up uh, Matt Barnes, Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, there's a, there's going to be a lot of options there. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the show. But I think that they will also have a much better idea of who is high performing on this team by that time and be able to spend that money smarter, which is what I'm kind of counting on. Hope so. Would have been uh, also, I mean, they didn't also, they could have stayed within the organization and made a splash and extended Drafield Devers, and they did not do that either, which is frustrating. But better be coming. <laughs> I hope so. They're going to lock that guy up. He's awesome. 
Yeah. Um, speaking of locking up your own players, though, JBJ uh, is arguably the biggest ticket uh, free agent in the field still available uh, by this time, which is kind of surprising. We all thought he was going to kind of sign with the Mets here. He seems to be holding out for a three to a four year deal. Any chance JBJ comes back to the Sox on like a one year thing if his market still seems to be kind of soft in a couple weeks? No. You think he's just totally gone? I do. Because the Red Sox are like about, they're either just over or just under five mil on that first threshold. Yeah. And even in a one-year deal, he'll probably be looking for 10 or 11. And yeah. so I don't think the Red Sox are going to go over to bring him back. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't think they're going to get him either. I think that money is probably better spent uh, tweaking out the rest of this roster in the bench spots. Uh, moving on. There is a bit of news. The Red Sox are rumored to be close to signing Japanese reliever Hiro, Hiro Kazu Sawamura. Um, and to give you a little bit of insight on what type of a pitcher Sawamura is, I have a tweet from uh, Red Sox Stats. And he says that he throws 96 to 99 with a splitter as his out pitch. Ooh, daddy like. I love a splitter. Uh, he also struggled last season uh, and was traded, but returned with new uh, to form with his new team, posting a 1.71 ERA and a 0.95 WHIP in 21 innings with 29 strikeouts. I love the hell out of this idea, Keaton. Agreed. I uh, this fits um, pretty so when we went into this offseason, Matt and I both assumed that they needed kind of like two potentially high leverage relievers in the bullpen to feel better about that bullpen situation. Uh, and this guy seems like he would be a nice little compliment to Ottavino there. You got him and Barnes uh, and Ottavino to finish off the 7th, 8th, ninth. The things start looking a whole lot better for this bullpen than they have basically the last four years. So uh, I love it too. You know what? It is my opinion that the Red Sox should always have an obscure Japanese reliever on their team at all times. Yeah, I'm definitely down with that. Yep. I own two uh, Red Sox jerseys. One is David Ortiz uh, and the other is Hideki Okajima. Hell yes. <laughs> love Oki. Uh, love Taz. Love Koji. I love Koji so much. Um <laughs> All of those guys, man. The my just, all-time favorite Red Sox gif is the one of him just slapping the dude as he's going through the high fives in the dugout. That's probably the greatest Red Sox <laughs> gif of all time. Yeah. It's amazing. It has to be. Yeah, it's the best thing ever. Um, so I'm I'm totally rooting for this move, uh, and hopefully Sawamura comes here and crushes it in the tradition of excellent Japanese relievers. Moving on uh, to our listener questions here. Our first one comes from Ivan L. Apex, and he says, uh, who do you think the Sox get in uh, next offseason? Uh, which is the big one out of these ones? I, I, I think he's wanting to know which of these the Red Sox go after hardest. Uh, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Javier Baez, Freddie Freeman, Sal Perez, Anthony Rizzo, uh, Corey Seager, Max Scherzer. Or Noah Syndergaard. Any of those names stick out to you as somebody that you think the Red Sox will target in free agency? Freddie Freeman would be a absolute delight 
um, covers a position in need. Um, he's I don't I, it's I think I like the shortstops obviously like Lindor. I think I'm more of a bias fan than you. I just don't think that's gonna happen because you've got Bogarts locked up. Um, I guess Bias has played second base, so um, if they felt that Jeter Downs wasn't really where they wanted to go, then they could slide him there. Freeman in this list really sticks out to me. Um, I mean, he just won an MVP. He's 31 this season, uh, so may not be as expensive as some of these other guys. Um, first base is a position in need, and I just feel like his swing, he'd just be dumping things around the pole and into the bullpen <laughs> on a fairly consistent basis. Uh, and it, it, he just would, his profile would just be so great in my Park. So that one sticks out to me. I'd love to see that happen. I know uh, you're quite the Cassis fan and just want a, a straight path to first base for him. So maybe <laughs> you don't want to go the Freeman route, but yeah. um, I, I wouldn't hate it. I would... I love Freeman. I agree with everything you said, except that they would ever move Bias to second base. Uh, sorry, Bogey. Uh, your glove would be moving to second base if they ever got Bias. He would be the shortstop there. Um, but I agree with everything you said on Freeman. But you are right. I, I do not want them to spend the money that it would take to sign Freeman because I do believe in Casas so much. I would love to see them hand a bucket of money to Max Scherzer on like a two or three year deal uh, towards the end of his career to have him pitch uh, for the Red Sox. I I think they need to dump money into pitching. Um, A guy like Scherzer is just, I mean, there are no words for how awesome he is in terms of how he pitches, the clubhouse effect. Like imagine Sale and Scherzer in the same rotation I don't think I can handle it. <laughs> I mean, that's literal nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just that's so much crazy in one rotation. I love it so much. I can't even contain myself thinking about that. So I'd love to see that happen, plus the long-term extensions to Devers and uh, Bogarts. That's the way I want the money spent. Yeah, I'm on board with that. All right, next one comes from Brendan. He says, where do you see Hauk in 2021? I think he deserves a shot in the rotation based on the end-of-season performance along with Pavetta. They're not a World Series team. Let the young guys get more than just a toe wet. This team needs them this year. What do you see as the role of Hauk in 2021? Well, um, I think I agree. I would like to see him get a shot to start. Um I'm actually going to just be really curious. He might be the guy that I'm – so this, this might be me answering my roundtable question for uh, for this week. But he might be the guy that I'm the most interested to see what they do with in spring training because I agree. I think he earned a shot to start. Um, but with additions that they made in the offseason, guys that need to keep on the 40-man roster and the fact that he has options, is probably going to end up starting in AAA. I hope he quickly ascends uh, and they call him back up again. Um and give him the chance to start. So I'm just I'm really curious to see how they actually are going to shake that out. And I think if he has a really good spring training, uh, then I don't think you I don't think the Red Sox really can afford to start him in AAA. I think they just need to give him that fifth starters role. I think it's possible that he could uh, outperform Pavetta in spring training to the point where he does earn that role. The other X factor here, Keaton, is that uh, they could go with the six-man rotation considering the oddities with innings totals from last year. 
Um, so that's oh, always yeah, a way that true. we could uh, we could end up seeing uh, Hauk. But I think the hope organizationally is, you know, that he does continue to take those development steps that he took last year and and solidifies himself in a starter's role. Um, next question comes from See the Game, and he says, "Rather have Colton Wong than Kike." Yes, we both would, as we just previously answered. Um, following one comes from Sox Junkie, and he says, "Should Bloom check in with the Dodgers in regards to Tony Gonsolin, since he seems to be the odd man out with the Bauer signing?" What do you think about that? Uh, let me ask this a different way. Obviously, we'd be interested in Gonsolin. He's nasty. But what would the Red Sox have that was attractive to trade to the Dodgers? What would they want? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, an embarrassment of riches everywhere. Seriously. So, um, probably cash. If you could take some cash off their hands since they just blew they give through us David every price? level of the luxury tax uh, <laughs> threshold. Just give us price um, back. <laughs> they might, honestly. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, that's a, it's a tough, tough one to judge because yeah, I don't know. I mean, a third base they would need, but it's not like, what, you want to give them Chavis and see if he can do that? Like, I think they'd rather go with Evan Rios. Yeah. That's tough. The name I saw floated out there by, um, Chris Hatfield uh, of Sox Prospects was, Bobby Dahlbeck, um, but I don't think that Bobby Dahlbeck on his own gets you Tony Gonsolin. I think that Gonsolin's just a more valuable commodity, so I don't know what that looks like. Maybe that's Bobby Dahlbeck, Mata, and something else. I I really don't know. Um, I'd be totally fine with that if they made a package around um, – Dahlbeck to get Gonsolin, and I think it'd be a smart move, but it's just hard for me to believe that a championship team would want to rely on Bobby Dahlbeck at third base. Yeah, I don't think that they would. Uh, he's definitely not better than Muncy, so he wouldn't be playing first. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's, I mean, I guess, yeah, something built around Dahlbeck, sure. And I would be, I'd be all for that, Brandon Gonsolin. But yeah, I don't, that's yeah, that's a tough tough one to match up just because they it's I mean I don't they wouldn't want him let him go for a prospect because that doesn't do anything for him. Um, so yeah, that's tough. It's a tough one to match up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next one comes from Angel Rondon. He says, "Which move in Bloom's tenure has been your most favorite and least favorite, excluding the bats trade?" There haven't been that many. In Bloom's well, tenure. Richards is obviously my favorite. Okay. Richards is your favorite. Do you have a least favorite so far? Um Why don't you why don't you give me yours and then I'll let you know. <laughs> I would say my favorite is probably the trade of workmen. And uh, Heath Hembry, I think they got a great return on that with Connor Seabold. So I think that that was a really smart move. My least favorite is probably uh, probably the Kike Hernandez over Colton Wong. I 
I really do like the idea of spending a little bit more to get a player who's a little bit more established. But, I mean, I really don't have a huge issue with that. I wouldn't even classify it as a as a move I don't like. He hasn't really done anything egregious that I uh, that I really disagree with so far. I would say Matt Andres is my least favorite. Just because uh, he's failed as a starter the last three years. He's been a reliever, and he's also failed at that. And they have enough trash relievers on the, the roster already that they didn't really need to add any more. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I get that. Last question comes from the big man. He says people are already declaring a Dodgers repeat. Might be in for a rude awakening when Bauer has to pitch against teams that can actually hit. Yeah, so Bauer's been good for 30 innings. Prior to that, he's like a four and a half ERA weirdo. Um, there's also the fact that the Dodgers are unbelievably loaded, or the Padres are unbelievably loaded. And I think that they would, at least for me right now, uh, my favorite for the World Series would be the Padres. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, I wonder what Bauer is actually going to be, but a team as smart as the Dodgers giving him that amount of money makes me think that the Dodgers believe that he's actually that good. And if the Dodgers think he's that good, I don't know. Maybe they're right. Um, So... I guess I'm probably going to bet on the team that's the smartest team in baseball right now being correct about this. All right. Yeah. I don't know. But we'll see. Um, All right. That's our podcast. We do hope that you enjoyed the show. If you did, please go on, rate and review us, subscribe to the show, tell your friends, tell your dog, tell everybody, tell your pet (laughs) turtle. Um, and just a, again, a, a big thank you before we get out of here to everybody who's been involved with the Red Seat Podcast, been involved in building the Over the Monster Podcast Network, and uh, we do really appreciate all of you for making us part of your routine. Uh, wherever you fit us into your day, whether that's when you're cooking or at the gym or in the morning on your ride to work, uh, wherever you fit us in, we do appreciate being part of that, and we hope that we will continue to be. So thanks so much. Keaton, thank you for joining me, and we will be with you again next week. 